When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Turn up your volume, because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast, The Eye Test, with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy. The Stanley Cup winning Colorado Avalanche, and after 22 years, Raymond The Sickest NHL Podcast, it's gonna be sick. And welcome to another edition of The Eye Test, here on The Sick Podcast Network, Jimmy Murphy and Pierre McGuire here on an on-campus Friday on the eye test. And we've got Brett Riley, the head coach of Long Island University Hockey, join us right now, right off the top here. We're going to get right to it. Uh, coach is with us coming in from Alaska, where they have spent the last week uh, as they play two Alaskan schools out there. Coach, how you doing? I am doing all right. It is a cold morning here in Alaska, uh, but look forward to talking hockey with you guys here. All right. And you're in Fairbanks today, right? We are. So this is day, I think, nine. Uh, we started in Anchorage wow. and now we're uh, in Fairbanks and we'll play tonight here. That's great stuff. Well, welcome aboard to the eye test, Pierre. Well, I'm so glad you're on with us. Thanks a lot, Brett. Thanks for joining us. First of all, people need to know who Brett Riley is. Who's Brett Riley and how did he become the head coach at Long Island University? Um. Well, I could take it back many years ago, obviously growing up in a hockey family, um, starting with my grandfather, Jack, who was longtime head coach of Army and coached the 1960 Olympic team to gold. Um, but hockey has been in our family and been in our blood. Uh, my father, Rob, being around the game in so many different capacities, my uncle Brian and Mark and um, hockey is in our blood and it's in our family. For me, I've been fortunate to uh, kind of upstart programs, starting with Wilkes University, a new Division three program, um, spring and summer hockey programs where Pierre and I grew a lot closer uh, with the Boston Generals and the summer team. And then uh, I was fortunate enough, actually, during the pandemic to have the opportunity to start a Division one program from scratch. And four years later, uh, here we are today. It's great. Coach, I want to get to just the trip you're on right now. Um, you're out there a lot. We always talk. I cover a lot of pro hockey and a lot of times, you know, you'll hear when the I cover the Bruins. They'll go out West for their trip out there. They'll look at it as a bonding chance for the team. Um, I wonder, have you guys done any special team exercises or bonding events, so to speak out there while you've been on this trip? Yeah, we're um, probably outside of the team. We'll play tonight, Alaska Fairbanks. We're probably the most traveled and tested team in college hockey as an independent program. So we've done a lot of long hauls, um, we did a long stretch from um, Omaha to Lindenwood, so that'd be Nebraska, uh, to St. Louis uh, for 10 days earlier in the year. This is our Alaska excursion. We'll go to ASU, and we've been everywhere in between. Um, so we try and keep it fun with the guys, whether it be you know movie night, trivia night, um, a snow hike in Anchorage. Quite frankly, it's just too cold in Fairbanks to do anything, so our guys have been in the hotel room, and that's about it, but... Um, we look at this as a positive. Our guys learn how to travel for pro hockey. They learn how to prepare. And um, you get to see some really cool venues and, and play new teams, too. And how much schoolwork are they doing? Uh, schoolwork has been good. Our, our guys, we have a study hall at night. Our guys, um, I think they came in at like a 3.8 team GPA. So um, they're serious in the classroom. They're able to zoom in on their classes. Um, and, and they get it done pretty pretty well here. I'm guessing a new theme song for the team is uh, I've Been Everywhere by Johnny Cash, huh? That's <laughs> uh, not, not a bad suggestion. I do think uh, in our four years of being a Division One program, we've been to 15 or 16 states. So wow. just about every state that offers Division One hockey outside of, I want to say, Maine and probably uh, actually Minnesota. Maine and Minnesota would be kind of our last two to check off here. Brett, how do you keep your guys so focused on being the best they can be with all the travel that you have to go through? 
Um, I think that just starts with recruiting the right kind of kids um, and young men. If you love hockey and if you have character, um, you can get up to play anytime, anywhere. It, it is a challenge. It forces you as a coach to think creatively, to get guys to get up and play with time differences and you know any challenge in between. But we've done a really good job of recruiting guys that eat, sleep, and breathe hockey. Um, so they're just as excited as I am to face off um, tonight in our independent schedule here. Coach, I, we've seen, you know, a lot of independent schools uh, in college hockey now starting to really prosper, like make make names for themselves. And But I'm wondering, when you took this program over, you knew the challenges. It's still a challenge out there to do that with all the established hockey schools and just kind of the go-tos in college hockey. What was your goal to sort of put – LIU on the map to begin with and, and how much has it changed since you began? Yeah. Um, that's a, that's a great question. I could go on for hours about this, but <laughs> when we started during the pandemic, you know, the, the myth or, you know, the narrative was that this would kind of be um, a joke, you know, so to speak, no budget, you know, mm-hmm. rink off campus, no schedule. So my biggest goal was just to establish credibility and, you know, prove the naysayers wrong one step at a time. So when you build a program, it's kind of the backwards approach of everyone thinks get good players and win, which we want to do, but you have to bring in the right kids that do well in school, get out in the community, are good people that love hockey, will play the independent schedule that, you know, Pierre talked about getting motivated for. So for us, it was, and then obviously fundraise, you know, money makes programs build and go round. So for us, it was, crawl, walk, run. Um, we could recruit really well. That's the easy part. There's players everywhere. We, we can find them. But how do we uh, schedule big games? You know, we were able to get Notre Dame on our schedule to Wisconsin, to Michigan State, to Colgate, to Brown, to Yale. So schedule good teams, recruit young men that buy into that schedule, um, win some key games that can help put the program on the map. Last mm-hmm. year, we were able to beat Ohio State. We tied Quinnipiac in their rank. Um, and actually Alaska went 15 and one in independence and we were their one loss that kept them out of the tournament. So, um, some big wins along the way, but just having really good kids. So the school, the president, the AD, they want to get behind you. We're at a place right now as a program where we're still growing. We're not perfect. You know, we don't have the resources that maybe Arizona state had or, uh, Penn state had when they started, but we've got great people. We've got a great coaching staff. We've got a great young, aggressive athletic director now. Our president really supports hockey, so we feel things are lining up from the way we, you know, walk, talk, eat, sleep, dress, how we travel. Um, are we perfect? No. Are we still fighting a lot of independent challenges of scheduling? Sure. But we feel every day when we wake up and look at the program, it's getting a little bit better. Coach, how realistic is it for you guys to join a league so you're not an independent going forward? Yeah, there's the conversations, I think, have picked up and intensified. Um For the meanwhile, we will schedule the best teams we can and make this a great experience for our guys. Um, But in in some time here, we'll need the balance and fortune of a league to have playoffs and, you know, to motivate our guys down the stretch and to have a chance at a, you know, automatic qualifier by winning a league. So we feel all we can do is what we can control, which is keep playing good hockey, showing a good product, investing in our student athletes and then, um, you know, winning too. So. Um, in time, I think we will have a league. It's just a matter of keep doing what we're doing here. I want to coach um, in a situation like yours, uh, how much has the transfer portal helped or hurt? Yeah. And also, what do you think if, if it goes through this whole stuff with the CHL, if all that talk comes to fruition, how much will that help or hurt you? Um, yeah, good question. So the transfer portal, I guess people call it like a necessary evil, right? But Um, Some teams pick out of it uh, to fill their roster. Others don't touch it. When we started, we needed it as a way to get players with 75, 100 games, whatever it may be on our roster. Um, I use Anthony Vincent, who's now with the San Jose Barracuda. Um, He was a four-year player at Holy Cross. Adam Goodser was a four-year player at Michigan State. So we were able to get these guys either overlooked, overshadowed, or just needed another year to really pop for us. We've got really good proof of concept. Those are just two of 10 plus stories of guys that have gone on to play at LIU and go to pro hockey. But now we're at a point where we want to bring guys in through the front door. We feel we have enough to sell from a recruiting standpoint 
and nothing against the transfers. They've done some really, really good things here, and each case is different and unique, but there's something really special and fun about developing someone from a freshman to watching them as a junior or senior. I use like Isaiah Fox. He's a French Canadian player for us here. Um, he was a freshman kind of in and out of the lineup, getting into penalty trouble to now being um, a dominant college hockey player who should be at, you know, a development camp this summer and, and doing really good things. So the portal was good. Will we still look at it? Will we still maybe pick here or there for a specific need? Yeah. But we feel we want to bring in freshmen and develop them. Whereas two years ago, we needed juniors and seniors and guys with games. Jimmy, one of the interesting things about Coach Riley and the way he's going about the recruitment of players, uh, it's not just North Americans. You're dabbling a lot over in Europe right now, aren't you, Brett? We we are, yes. So we've had a, we've had a pretty good run with international um, players, whether that just be thinking outside the box and recruiting differently to um, just studying the league. So we've got a few players from Finland. We had one last year, two this year on our roster. Um, the international players, they bring something different to the team, whether it's just that hockey passion or kind of the way they've been brought up and how they train. So we'll continue to look uh, at Europe as a really good path. It's also super close with us being 20 minutes from the airport. They can scoot in and scoot out, um, which and they like New York City, obviously, for the most part, the international players. And then um, going back to kind of that uh, CHL, we're not really sure if and when there's a lot of rumors and speculation, but for us, if any path or pipeline opens, we will grab our shovels and dig and we'll look and we'll discover and we'll, so we would welcome that in some sense. There's obviously some arguments you can make about opportunities for American born players and what that would do. But um, we've learned that we need to adapt to whatever happens or we'll get run over. So that's kind of our strategy here. You brought up uh, how they, you know, foreign players love to come to New York City and be around there. That was going to be one of my questions. How much has the proximity to New York City helped you? But also, as Pierre and I have mentioned numerous times in this show, Long Island is a great hockey market, producing a ton of young hockey players now, all the way, you know, from the grassroots level. How much has that as well helped the program uh, to prosper? It, it's been really a great selling point, right? Just that you can point when we zoom with recruits or, or bring them in, you can point right on a map and they know New York City. Um, but also we are really in, um, you know, a nice part of Long Island where it's a couple hundred acre campus and green grass. And so the best of both worlds are we have a lot to sell from a location standpoint. Um, mm -hmm. Now we're at the point, you know, I guess in year one or year two, it was hard to recruit local players because, they would go to school X or Y. Now yeah. we're at a point where maybe it's a little more cool or trendy, or there's proof of concept to playing in your backyard. There's a little more pride when we beat Ohio state, kind of the area it put us on the map. And I think, um, you know, uh, having a sold out game versus Penn state or Colgate in our building or Vermont, it, it opens eyes to, you don't need to go too far. So next year we have uh, two or three, um, depending on when we bring them in, players from 30 minutes away uh, of our rank east and west uh, of Long Island coming. So we want to build from, if we're going to be Long Island University, we need players from Long Island, um, but we want to do it with the right, you know, the right guys. And now we feel um, that's starting to happen, all a part of the plan, I guess. Coach, you've had a chance to watch a ton of teams play in the NCAA. Who's impressed you? Um, that's the beauty of this thing is we, we joke we have a PhD in college hockey. Um, you know, and we get to see and play everyone. Um, and, and you realize that everyone is really good. You know, we, we split with Yale and I thought they were a lot better than people give them credit for. Obviously, you know, we had Colgate and, and your son, Pierre Ryan in our building, and we caught them kind of on the wrong weekend for them, but that's a really, really, really good hockey team. Um, and we've seen everyone in, in between, like I said, Penn state, and their style of shoot from everywhere and kind of run and gun. Um, we've seen uh, Nebraska Omaha, who's big and heavy and hard. Colorado College, a team on the rise. So you don't ever leave a, a weekend and say, oh, they weren't very good. You know, in, in college hockey, everyone can play. The teams are so well coached um, that if you don't show up and you're not ready, you leave the weekend feeling pretty bad about yourself. So We've, we've learned a lot playing. Uh, we've played Wisconsin. We've played Notre Dame, like I've said. 
um, Omaha, Colorado College, Miami. So we've seen just about, I want to say, 30-plus teams, um, and there hasn't been a team that really hasn't impressed us, if that makes sense. Jimmy, just one more I want to ask the coach. You forgot one of your marquee games this year. You almost beat Boston College at Boston College. How good did you think they were? Um, they they were unbelievable. We watched the tape. Um, it was kind of like when I watched Ohio State versus Harvard at the uh, tournament last year. Um, I think that was the matchup, but I, I don't even realize how we touched the puck. They looked like the Globetrotters, so... Boston College, I think we blitzed them uh, two zip off the go, um, and then when they decided they wanted to turn on, I've never se- I've never seen anything like it. Like our guys battled, they competed, um, but that that's a special team with some special players. So I won't be surprised if they go the distance or, or really close with the talent they have on that roster. Well said, I agree. Good stuff. Coach, before we let you go, too, I wanted to know, too, have the Islanders um, kind of helped out in any way, or have you been able to form a relationship with them as well? Like Honestly, like everything, it's it's gotten better. Um, I think at the start there was COVID and there was closed doors and there was concerns yeah. with the state of the world to now where we are. Um, they've been helpful with scheduling. We've established more credibility. So from you know last year when Omaha rolled into town, they had two prospects on their team you know, they came down, were able to greet them and kind of see what we're all about to now, you know, the flames were in town. They used our space and Islanders came down and greeted. And, uh, you know, so things are getting better there um, using their facility. We had, I think we've had three players in Worcester, which is their ECHL affiliate. So um, little things to help. And again, the best thing that we can do is continue to build our brand and it will make it easier for um, them and everyone to, you know, want to help. Jimmy, you know what's kind of cool about when Calgary visited Long Island? Coach Riley has a player on his team by the name of Zari. Well, yes. there's a Zari that plays for Calgary, too. Coach, why don't you take over and tell that story? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, obviously Connor is his cousin um, who's who's having a great, a great year, and um, they used our room, and I think Connor used Josh's uh, – stall which was a pretty cool kind of cousin moment and josh (laughs) has been a phenomenal player for us this year he's i think top five in the country in power play goals top five in the country in face-off percentage um and you know a really good player in his own right so that's also been kind of cool for us when we started we were 60 of 60. i think now there's 64 teams in college hockey maybe um and we're top 10 in you know face-offs and power play percentage so we're able to show we've got some pretty good players now that can do pretty good things. And, and Josh is no different, you know, than his cousin, a really good player. Jimmy, I'll tell you one thing. You better bring it when you play Long Island, because if you don't physically, they're going to manhandle you. These are kids, kids that play with tremendous passion, courage and energy. I, I love watching them play. I, I try to watch them every weekend just because of the way they play, the style of play. It's not easy to play against. And, Brett, you've done a magnificent job with those young men. You really have. No, I, I appreciate it. It's been it's been really fun to build an identity here. We know um, we might not get the blue chip recruit, not to say we don't have really good players because we, we certainly do in our room, um, but we've got an identity that we know we have to win now, and that's be heavy, be physical, hit everything that moves. You're probably going to have to block 15-plus shots, win every face-off, and be hungry at the net. And so when we play really well, we check those boxes. If we don't do that, um, you know, the product's not what it needs to be. Awesome. Awesome. Coach, we appreciate you joining us. And, man, you're doing a great job there. It's great to see, uh, you know, a program like yours starting to really make an imprint in the college hockey world. We wish you the best. Awesome. I appreciate it. And great talking hockey with you guys. Wait a right. minute. Thank you. That's LIU coach Brett Riley joining us here on the iTest on On Campus Friday. And, and Pierre, he he's, seems like he's the right guy for that job right now. Yeah, I hope they can keep him. I'm not yeah, kidding. I was just thinking out of my head, yeah, too. No, I mean, he's um, – I've known him a long time. You know, he's a proud Hobart College hockey player, graduate from that fine institution, and uh, he's worked his way up from Albany Academy as a coach to Wilkes. Um, you know, he's an assistant coach at Colgate. Uh, he's had a plethora of opportunities to go to other places. He has stayed loyal to Long Island University, and Jimmy – I can just tell you, like, I think about Greg Carvel at UMass, who's obviously one of my favorites. I see a lot of the same things in Brett that I saw in Greg Carvel. Yeah, 
He's very composed. Very, yeah. he's even as he talks, he's structured, right? I, I imagine all his game plans are very structured, but even the way he talks is very structured, Pierre, which he, he means business. You can tell. Well, I worked with his father for a long time at, at summer hockey camps all over New England. And when his father left Babson College, I went into Babson and uh, Rob, his father, is a very, very special friend of mine. And I can just tell you, when he was talking about his family being a hockey family, he uh-huh. wasn't kidding around. I'm telling you, you know, That's his great. uncle Mark was a great player at Boston College. His, his uncle Brian was a tremendous player at Brown. Um, his dad was a great player with Joey Mullen at Boston College. Was great Boston College teams uh, back in the mid '70s. So I'm just telling you, I, they are a hockey family. And the grandfather, I can say this: I coached against his grandfather when I was a young coach. His grandfather was at West Point forever, and obviously was the architect of the 1960 Olympic team that uh, that won gold uh, at Squaw Valley. But I actually coached against his grandfather. <laughs> I, I was young though, Jimmy. I got to tell you, I was young. <laughs> well, he is too, right? He's going to be able to say that. <laughs> old coaches as well. I, I'll tell you, Pierre. As I'm watching this, I'm thinking we're going to be able to say one day we knew him when. Oh yeah, yeah no, that's he's, the feeling he's, I got. That's the vibe I got there. That's a trajectory for him. Uh, we talk almost every day. Yeah, uh, I was so um, honored to be invited to his wedding and and to uh, speak at it. And uh, I just think he's a magnificent young man. Uh, his wife, Chloe, is awesome. Just a great family. And and the future is so bright for him. Really, really bright. Yep. So good stuff there. Looking forward. I'll have to catch a game that they play next time they're around. Yeah, you, and I, you and I will go down. And we'll catch a game. Well, they're running out of racetrack now for this year, but we'll make it happen next year. Well, you know, we have to go up here. I got to yeah. take you to Long Beach. Remember, remember what Craig Cronin told, told me? <laughs> I, I used to be the mayor of Long Beach, Pierre, so we're all set. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Hey, let's get to some pro talk here. And yes. obviously one of the things we touched on yesterday was uh, clearly the firing of Yamo Kiklanian in Columbus. And, you know, suddenly right after that happened, and I think right as we were on the air, uh, stuff started to surface on social media that uh, the VP of Hockey Operations for the Montreal Canadiens, Jeff Gorton, will become a GM candidate for them because of his ties to John Davison. Uh, but Pierre, I, I think we're pretty much in agreement that I think that's highly unlikely to happen. I think they they can come knocking, they can ask all they want, but a I don't think Jeff Molson's going to give them permission. And even if he did, just from all I know from Jeff and people that know him, I don't think he's going to take that offer. I just think he he is very intent. From everything I'm told, the people that know him, he is very intent on finishing what he started there and bringing cup number 25 back to Montreal Canadiens. Yeah. And the relationship that he has with Ken Hughes, the relationship he has with Marty St. Louis clearly has a strong relationship with the ownership group player led by Jeff Molson. So I, I just have a hard time believing that. I know people are going to tie John Davidson and Jeff Gordon together because of their time with the Rangers. I don't believe there's much to that. Um, I know I told you yesterday when we were signing off, uh, I know of a management person in the NHL that a lot of people think will be the new GM in Columbus. I'm just not at liberty to say who it is because he's employed by a team right now. But I do think that there will be somebody that's working in the league right now who will eventually be the GM in Columbus. And yeah. he's a GM now in the league. And, of course, we did. And you already pointed out, and then a lot of people did it after you, that Mark Hunter is an obvious one when you're connecting the dots. But again, he's in a situation he's loved. And Pierre, correct me if I'm wrong. Hasn't he turned down, I don't know about offers to GM, but offers to jump to the NHL before? Oh, yeah. Well, how comfortable he is in London? Yeah, yeah. Well, they've built an amazing business in London. The London Knights are yeah. just a phenomenal business. And, and the Hunters are the people that built it, you know, forever. Yeah. They were a team that was struggling. They were playing in a dilapidated building outside of town. They've got this beautiful new shining building uh, in downtown London. I mean, it's just everything about it. It's a huge business. And the Hunter family have done a magnificent job with it. Um, Mark worked for the Toronto Maple Leafs for a little while. I mean, that's how Mitchell Marner got drafted by Toronto um, because he's a London Knight. But when I heard Rick Nash was involved in the selection Mm -hmm. process, that's immediately the first thing I thought of. I said, okay, 
one of the hunters, probably Mark, will be approached about this. And that's where I, that's how I came up with that, just connecting the yeah, dots. Just connecting exactly. But we shall see. That's a developing situation. Obviously, has just begun. Uh, but the more we hear about it, the more we'll let you know about it as well. Pierre, looking around the NHL last night, though, uh, I'll just start right where I am here, Pierre. And um, there, there's no qualms about it. The, the Boston Bruins are in a funk. Now, Oof. that doesn't mean in the last two games that they haven't done things better. I think they have. They looked a lot better than they did in that loss to Washington and previously in the loss to Calgary. But they're still losing. And, you know, we're getting into the stretch run here. The trade deadline's less than a month away. Um, you know, if you're Don Sweeney right now, how do you, how do you approach this situation? Does it change your approach to the deadline? Does it make you act faster? What do you think might happen in Boston here? Uh, I wouldn't change my approach. It's still a good team. Florida Panthers have passed them though in the standings, yeah. you know, so Florida's in first Boston's in second. So that would get my attention pretty quick if I was a GM. Uh, I would not change my approach, though. I would still be very proactive trying to find somebody that will bring a little more juice to the team. I'd prefer to – if I were there, I'd prefer it to be Noah Hannafin, but we'll see how that all plays out. Mm -hmm. um, I, I also think the Bruins, they've had to overachieve a lot this year. I think you know that. Their, their record is good, but I think a big reason why their record is good, guys have had to overachieve. Pavel Zak has overachieved. We've mm -hmm. talked about Charlie Coyle forever. And when you're overachieving all the time, over 82 games, you, you get, get tired. tired. You yep. get tired. You get tired. And, and yeah. so I think that's where they are right now, and that's why I think they need an infusion of something. And prefer, if I were there again, preferably it would be a defenseman. So, but it, like, do you, do you go Jim Rutherford right now and, and attack right now, or do you, do, you, do you still keep waiting it out? Because I, I think there's I a wouldn't lot wait. Of I wouldn't wait. I try to establish this play. I'll tell you an example. So Calgary thought they were a legit, you know, playoff contending team, and they probably still are. But that loss last night to San Jose is not good. No. Like so, exactly. when you're thinking you're a realistic playoff team, and then all of a sudden you lose on home ice to San Jose. That's a problem. Yeah. You know, so you can't do that. And and so I think reality is going to kick in here pretty quick for some of these teams. You know, I think it's already kicked in for Montreal. You and I have talked about it for a while. Mm -hmm. I think it's almost kicked in for Washington. We're going to find out Washington plays at Montreal tomorrow night. So there's certain situations where you and, – and Philadelphia, how about them going into Toronto and taking a point out of there last night? That was great. You know, and, then, and then New Jersey – got a chance to really step up. They lose on home ice to LA. I know. You know, I mean, so I think reality is starting to kick in for a lot of these teams, but if I were Boston, I wouldn't panic, but I would make a move to try to make my roster better. Here, let me, as you're saying that, I'm thinking about it too. You talk about reality setting in and it's, it's just so much parody now. We, we reiterate this all the time, but you know, there's so many teams in the situations that we're just discussing right now. And, I imagine as a general manager, as a, as a, you know, a scouting staff, what have you, it, it's gotta be tough to accept that reality when it kicks in. And we've seen, you know, in the past where teams maybe don't accept it early enough and make mistakes at the deadline that end up screwing them for the future. What is the key there? And, and also I'll ask you this too, two full question. How, how do you get to a point where you accept reality and then how do you bring that reality to ownership? Yeah, well, that's where relationships matter a lot. And if you haven't had a constant relationship with your owner and you haven't kept them informed every single day, probably you're not going to feel real good about them when you go in to meet them. Yeah. Communication is such an important part uh, of any sports team, but in particular in, in pro sports where you have so many different moving parts. You've got – your minor league team, you've got your prospects, you've got your draft list, you've got, you know, all these different things, your NHL team, uh, managing the cap, um, working with your minor league team. I mean, it's just they're moving parts all over. One man can't do the job alone. Can't. It used to be you had one GM, one head coach, and you can do the job. Yep. That ship sailed a long time ago. It's a very convoluted, complicated business, um, and you need a lot of smart people around you. And I think if you're going to tell your owner that you're going to have to do some things differently, you better have made sure that he was prepared over time 
that he's not all of a sudden surprised. Yeah. Because I think when they get surprised is when they're problems. Well, and then you got to factor in. I mean, what's the owner's primary thing is whether they say it or not. They may say, oh, our primary goal is to win, but it's a business. Their primary goal is to make money and to make profit. Nobody, Jimmy, wants a cash call in the spring. Exactly. Because a lot of these teams have, you know, minority partners as well, and they don't want to be writing checks. No. Nobody wants that. Exactly. I I find it ironic though, right? And you know, (laughs) the owner's side aren't gonna like me for saying this, Pierre, but it just is kind of ironic. The thing that maybe is preventing them sometimes from from not having to pay out those checks is the salary cap. You know, like the salary cap is kind of yes, it helped the owners, but at the same time, a lot of these teams are in this situation right now, Pierre, because of the cap. If there was no cap, I don't think teams teetering on the line of the playoffs would be selling as quickly as they tend to do nowadays. That's part of it for sure. And I agree. And I think that's well said. There's another part to this too. There are a lot of people that have misjudged the market. They overpay players. They miscalculate on players. That's definitely the other. And they get themselves into trouble. Yeah. Um, And so you the comparables are really important in negotiation and that's what the agents use against the teams mm-hmm. and the teams need to use other comparables so that they can control the marketplace a little bit better. Um, you know, that's been a big thing. And I don't know why some managers, not all, some managers roll over and say, yeah, we'll give you that. It's no big deal, but, but it is a big deal. Yeah. It is like, like the no movement clauses. Well, that, like a stretch there, there's something right there like there's something right there the no yeah. movement clause just oh yeah here you go here you go take that no problem and, and how a, many times does that come back to fight a gm 100 percent. lots oh. of them. Oh yeah no, no, you're right on so that's kind of what i'm talking about is there's so many things where guys shoot themselves in the foot and i just the again i talked about it's too big a job for one person yep you better make sure the people surrounding you are really smart yeah. and they're not afraid to tell you what you need to hear. That's the biggest one right there. Pierre. It's huge. And it doesn't always get well received, obviously, but it's an important part of this. That's what I, you know, again, my only understanding of winning the cups is when I was in Pittsburgh, I understand it from the media side from having covered so many, but from being on the inside, Craig Patrick was so good at delegating authority, at trusting the opinions of the people that he employed, uh, of telling his coaches, you guys are in charge of the room, you're in charge of the practices, I'll get you the players. He he was amazing at that. I'm telling you, he was so good at trusting people and and empowering people and making people feel that their jobs were important. Yeah. I don't know if that happens all the time in this NHL. No. I just don't know if that happens. I can tell you right now it doesn't. I mean, it just doesn't. And that's – that's why they run into problems. All right, let's uh, let's open it up to questions here on a Friday. We got a little extra time. Yep. Shall we? What do we got, guys? Marvin Matthews, who, by the way, Pierre, remember I mentioned my friend Steve Trainer, who is yes. uh, friends. Yeah. So Steve Trainer uh, went to high school with Marvin Matthews. Small. That's pretty cool. I love it. <laughs> Anyways, Marvin, good to hear from you. Hi, guys. Is a goalie fix the answer to New Jersey's issues? They don't seem to be anywhere near the team they were last year. Are there more concerns? I think that's a great question. I mean. We know they're out there to get a goalie, Pierre, right? And we, they tried with Calgary. But there's a lot of other issues going on with that team. And is that is it worth, like I just said earlier, mortgaging the future and really just throwing in a lot to acquire that goalie if you still got other issues to address? Does the, does the goalie just automatically fix that? I don't think it does, but it would make it better, a little bit it better, but it doesn't big- fix everything. They miss Dougie Hamilton. You, you just there's oh, yeah. no other way around it. They missed Dougie Hamilton. They were expecting a lot more out of Meyer. Timo uh-huh. Meyer has not produced at the level they thought he was going to produce. And they really thought Andre Palat was going to give more offensively. And that hasn't happened either. So there's a few things there that have been troublesome for them. Goaltending, no Dougie Hamilton. And Timo Meyer and, and Andre Palat, they thought two guys would give him a little bit more offense. And that just hasn't happened. Yep, for sure. Um, all right, let's go to the next question. Relaxation music. Hey, Pierre, who would you target if Montreal in the offseason to play along 
side Kirby Doc. I think Montreal still lacking top six forwards. Great question. I think that's fair. I don't think that's outrageous. Um, target. I don't know if I, I'm comfortable saying any names right now, but I would target, let's put it this way, a bigger, uh, robust, good board player with, with good hands and shooting ability. How about that? Perfect. You know, that's what I would try to do, Jimmy. I, You know, the, Montreal's really got to pay attention to the lack of size. They really do. And um, once they get a little bit bigger and a little bit more mature, I think their team's going to be re really solid. But they need to do those two things. Just a, a side note to that too, Pierre. We talk about the lack of size. But one of the biggest things is, you know, as you mentioned, Kirby Doc there, I immediately thought of it, has been health and injuries for Montreal over the last few years. I know a ton of that is is luck and i'm not blaming their medical staff at all i know some people in my business have and i don't think that's fair but not. i will ask you how much you know if you're gordon and hughes and, and if gms do this in general how much does injury history of a player play a role when you're targeting someone on the trade market or free agency big 100 like, percent huge yeah, um, that's why. It's sorry if that sounds like a rhetorical question, but I, I just no, think no, it's, it's not. It's a good question. It's smart. Yeah. Um, you've got to pay attention to that all the time. And if you're not, you're probably going to get burned on some acquisitions. If a guy's yeah. got a historically bad shoulder and you take him thinking that all of a sudden there's a miracle cure and his shoulder's not going to be a problem, you're going to be in trouble. You yeah. know, if a guy's got a historically bad knee or if some guys have bad, look at Robin Leonard, okay? Mm -hmm. Let's use him as an example. example. That's a great example. And and I, you know what I think of the guys in Vegas. The guys running the team in Vegas, those guys are awesome yep. at their job. They made a miscalculation. Yep. They did. They did. And it was it, it's not because Robin Leonard can't play. Robin Leonard can't play because he's hurt. He's got a problem health-wise. And yeah. they should have known that before they acquired him. Yep. You got to do your due diligence. Make sure you know everything before you get to that point. All right, next question. Justin LeBron, what are the chances of the Habs getting Zegers, man? He is the he is the hot name in Montreal, huh? They don't want him because it's a sexy thing offensively. That's what they want. Yep, I'm sure they well. could get him. It depends what they want to pay. Yeah. Um, you know, again, we talked about fits. Montreal's got huge depth on defense, young defensemen. So does Anaheim. Yeah. So there's really not a fit yep. there. Yeah. And and I just Watching Anaheim play last night in Ottawa, I saw some of the things that are going to make them good for a long time, and I saw some of the things that are going to cause them problems for a long time. Yeah. You know, so you can – if you're scouting, you can kind of see, okay, here's their organizational strength. Here's their organizational weakness. How can we address it? I don't sure there's a fit there with Montreal. I just Not don't know if there's a fit. You brought that game up, by the way. Uh, Anaheim goes into Ottawa after – Losing five nothing in Montreal beats the Senators, who had been on a little roll five to one. Uh, credit to our, our buddy Greg Crone, the head Greg coach, Crone. there for getting them up for that game. Yep. And, and and I would think, you know, you talk about you saw some good signs. That it's not an individual good sign as a team. I like the fact that they bounced back like that. They dug deep. They responded to their coach's challenge. Uh, Verbeek and Cronin got to be happy about that here. Yeah, well, I, I, Cam Fowler was really good in the game. Frankie Vitrano was good in the game. And, and Mason McTavish, who's an Ottawa kid, he's from Carp, which is just uh, probably 10 to 15 minutes from the rink, just uh -huh. outside Ottawa. He had a huge game. But but the leadership, so Cam Fowler is a huge leader there. He's a oh, big yeah. presence there. Frankie Vitrano's an older player now. He's not a kid anymore. He's yep. got to be a big presence. And I think, you know, especially with Kalorn being injured, they need more from Mason McTavish, and they got it last night. So, you know, again, you can see the good stuff in Anaheim, and you can see the stuff they need to work on. But I do think Anaheim is really going in the right direction. I, I really do. And and I, I give, I take my hat off to Patty Verbeek because I think they're doing a good job, and I think the fans are being patient with them, which is good, unlike Montreal. <laughs> Next question. Uh, Real Deal Prime, Pierre, have you met Patrick Waugh? Thoughts? <laughs> I, would say I, I coached Patrick in the All-Star game in 92, coached a lot of games against him. Um, I just spoke with him uh, at the Hall of Fame inductions because we were both at a dinner for Pierre Lacroix. Uh, I like him very much. I like how competitive he is. I can tell you right now, he's a hockey savant. He watches hockey all the time. 
Yeah. Uh, he studies hockey all the time. As a goalie, he probably knew every single player in the league which way they shot, right or left. I'm just telling you, that's the kind of mind he has. So, yeah, no, I, I've known Patty a long time. I respect him very much. And, uh, yeah, I you know, I wish he had a better roster to work with, with the Islanders. Yeah. But he's, he's squeezing the lemon hard, and he's trying to get them to be relevant in terms of the playoffs. And, you know, I, I read something earlier today, too. Pierre, he He's not – he hasn't held back at all when calling his players out. You know, yeah. it's, not, it's not like he's trying to have a soft landing there and kind of <laughs> – you know, grab the rapport of the police. It's like, I'm coming here. I mean business. And any of you that aren't on board, you'll be out in the off season. That's, yeah, how that's exactly it. it. You just yeah. nailed it. Anybody that's not on board with the way he's coaching, they won't be, they won't be there next year. They exactly. Just so, and you've got to do that. I think it's great that he's setting that tone. All right. Next question. Pierre, who would you pick if you were, and this is from Andre T. Who would you pick if you were Montreal Lindstrom or Demidoff? I'm not sure who they're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I had a Paul. I apologize. I'm not sure who you're talking about there. Sorry about yeah, that. Yeah, you put up a follow up there, Andre. We'll we'll definitely reply. Until then, let's go to the next question. Relaxation music. Hey Pierre, what do you think of Slav's recent play? I can't wait till he fully matures. Suzuki and Cole finally have a winger to play with. He was awesome last night. Yeah, he's been awesome. He's going to keep being awesome. He's a good player. I mean. Yeah. Anybody that's been listening to the eye test knows what Jimmy and I think of Slavkovsky. And, um, you know, I worked the draft that he was drafted first overall. I remember saying, you know, he's the real deal. But yep. what you're going to have to get used to is his year of the draft, his draft year playing in Turku, he was playing as a third-line player, getting seven to 11 minutes a game and exactly. hardly any power play time. So there's a huge adjustment. Um, he's a special talent. Uh, I call him Yarmir Yager light. I don't think he'll ever be as good as Yarmir, but I think there'll be a lot of the same characteristics in his game. I love it. I love it. And I love his personality. It is yep. very Yarmir Yager like. All right. Next question. Evan McLaren, who asks great questions. Uh, Pierre, did you guys see the video of Phil Kessel practicing with the Canucks? I'm rooting for him, but he definitely stayed true to form and kept <laughs> away from the gym during his extended. Yeah. It, it, that wasn't too good, man. I, it, it looked like you were watching a beer league, Pierre, and I, I, I don't You know what, that. though? You know what's really cool about this? I'm going to tell you, Jimmy, and yeah. I mean this sincerely. Rick Tockett coached in Pittsburgh when Phil was there. And he, they, call him the, they call him the Kessel Whisperer, Pierre. I'm just, I was, I'm just telling you, I was there. I watched it. I yeah. heard it. Yep. He was in his ear all the time, and he knew how to manage Phil. And Phil, I think, appreciated it. There were times on that bench in Pittsburgh – where there was a lot of dysfunction. I'm just telling you. And player to player. Explode well, Malkin, Malkin and Kessel, you, you, like, there was almost fisticuffs in games. Okay? <laughs> just react. And it's not a knock on either of them. That's how intense and competitive they are. You know? And so there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. Look at Recky and Cullen and, and Kevin Stevens, the option line when I was in Pittsburgh. Those guys would yell and scream at each other the whole game. Oh, yeah. it, it was amazing entertainment. But it got the best out of them, and so there's nothing wrong with it. But I will say this: Rick found a way to get the most out of Phil Kessel. He really oh, yeah. did. He did. He did. A, he did a really good job with him. And I think he's trying to reinvent the wheel there in Vancouver. Try to get the best out of Phil again if he can. Yeah, and I, you know what? I, I know I saw those highlights too, Evan, and I agree with you. He he looks slow, um, but Pierre's exactly right. That's why I still think. For everything Pierre just said, I do think it happens. I do think he's on the roster within the next few weeks. And and he'll be used strategically, right, Pierre? I mean, it's not gonna, they're not gonna be throwing him out there over the boards and over the boards. And over, he's gonna be strategic. He's gonna be a power play specialist. He's there for a specific reason. And, and and they know that. And they've got enough depth on their team that they can have a a player so to speak, that can be used as a specific weapon, right, Pierre? I mean, that's the way I look at it. Oh, no, that's a great way to look at it. I agree. All right, next question. Rip a pack a day. <laughs> Pierre, you're the Habs GM right now. What would be your next move to help the team take the next step? Make my team bigger. I that's really it. focus that's on making my team bigger. Uh, not to get big goons. I'm talking about bigger athletic people that could stabilize games physically. And I think they are working at doing that. I really do. I do too. And, you know, once we finish questions, I'm going to finish it off before we sign off here. There's something that happened last night I want to talk about, but let's yeah. go to the questions right now. Yeah. 
relaxation music. Again, hey, Pierre, do you see Montreal taking another defenseman in this year's draft? The draft is pretty defenseman heavy. It is. He's, he's right about that. There's nothing wrong with having too many defensemen. Oh, this, because you can you use them as collateral. never have too many defensemen. Scotty yeah, Bowman told me that, Pierre. Yeah, you can, you can use them as collateral, too. I mean, they're, they're valuable on the trade market. So I personally think you draft for the best player. Right. I really do. Because if you draft the best player, you're never going to really get in trouble. And, and sometimes people draft for need, and I think that's better in football than it is in, in hockey. That's a great point. So I, I think you got to draft. I personally, I always, every draft table I ever sat at or every draft I ever worked, you see the teams that did the draft properly, they drafted the best player available, not the player that fits in your hole, so to speak. All right. So I'm told as of now, we don't have any questions. So I'll bring, we've got another 10 minutes to go though. So if you have some, throw them out there and Sammy will bring them up. But until then, Pierre, I want to ask you, uh, did you see what Jack Hughes did? Uh, yes. Yes. Day? yes. First, what he said, chirping the Kings player heading over to the penalty box, yeah. your reaction to that. And then secondly, your reaction to him slamming his stick on the bench and then throwing the broken stick on the ice. So go ahead. Yeah, no, it wasn't a great night for Jack. Um, you know, and then he let Kopitar go to score a goal, uh, yeah. which is tough too. Um, I'm not sure about the the talking stuff. I'm not a big fan of that stuff. Um, and I would say that just the frustration, something that I think they got to. They probably brought him in today and talked to him about it. I, I don't think that that's the way he needs to comport himself. He's too good a player. He's too good a talent. Um, and I obviously think he wants to make the playoffs as badly as anybody else. And maybe he's trying to set the tone for their game with Philadelphia tomorrow mm -hmm. at the stadium, you know, the outdoor game. Maybe that's what he's trying to do. I don't know, but I wouldn't want to prejudge him except to say that he's better than what he showed yesterday. So here's my take, Pierre, with the, with what he – I'm totally on board with everything you just said. With what he said, though, I didn't like it. But as you and I have discussed off the air about certain players, there's a lot worse to said than that. Oh, yeah, <laughs> no, there's way worse. Yes. There's way worse than that. So for people saying he doesn't, he lacked class and he doesn't have, no, I think it's exactly what Pierre said. He just got, he lost his cool. He lost his frustration and clearly mm -hmm. smashing the stick showed you that. Um, but I, I don't think that they should be saying that he, that he's not classy. Um, because I'm sure, and maybe he has, and maybe the camera didn't just catch, didn't catch it. There's way worse things said, but as for him, <laughs> as for him losing his cool Pierre, I'm with you. And the biggest reason I talked to him about that is like, look, I love the passion. I want him yep. to care, but the biggest reason that you don't want to do that, you don't want the other team, which they clearly did. And they just kept piling it on to know that they're basically cooking dinner in your kitchen and they, they, they're under your skin. That's the worst thing you can do, especially when you're a superstar like that. So I think that would be the biggest thing, like Pierre said, just talk to him and say, hey, listen, man, we get it. You're frustrated. It happens. But don't let them know that because they're going to just keep needling you. And I, I think that was his biggest mistake last night. But he's young. He's going to learn. It's this is all stuff that you all learn. All part of the learning process. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. I'll tell you one. I'll give you one more before we get to the question. Yep. This is really important. I remember, and you can go look at it on YouTube, when Jonathan Taze was captain of the Chicago Blackhawks and they're playing Detroit in the playoffs, and Johnny lost it. He did. He, oh, look I at, that. I'm a yeah. big fan. There's as big a fan as you could be of Jonathan Taze. And, and he lost it. And if you watch what happens on that tape, Brent Seabrook goes over to the penalty box in old Joe Louis Arena, and he calms Taze down. And from then on, Chicago just – was powerful. They were good. They were a dynamic team. Mm -hmm. It took one veteran guy to calm another veteran guy down. Yep. And, and so you need that. And I don't know if they have that much uh, of that in New Jersey yet. I think they're going to get there, but they don't have that much of that yet. Well, Pierre, I mean, look, when, when, you, when you and I were talking about Marshan playing his thousandth game and we were talking about the guys that helped him, yep. you mentioned Recky. And just him coming over to him on the bench, you know, in the Stanley Cup final and being like, we got this. Just forget yeah. about that. Roll on. That's it. You, so. Jimmy, you know what's interesting? Um, 
I don't think he'll be upset if I say it. I had a long talk with Teddy Donato today on the phone while I was driving up. to Great. Great. And we were, we were just talking hockey. That's all we were talking about. And we were talking about the importance of mentorship, leaders on NHL teams, because the rosters are getting younger and younger. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of these kids really don't understand what it's like to live in the NHL. And, you know, you heard what John Tortorella said last night about the young players and how it's so different. Yep. He's not wrong. He's right about that. He's right about all of it. It's So it's a different time in the league. But one thing I know that's always been consistent in the league, if you don't have great leadership, you're not going to win. No. And so it's really important to have great leadership. And I think teams are starting to put more value on that. It's just yep. hard to find those guys that are great leaders and can still play at an advanced age. Do you know what I mean, Jimmy? They're oh, yeah. great leaders, but they might be missing a gear or two. So you have to live with that. And I don't know how many teams are prepared to live with that right now. Pierre, example A, and I, I remember how much they got bashed when they made the signing. Chicago Blackhawks go out and sign Nick Felino for $4 million on a one-year deal. Now they've extended him, too. Yeah. But they go out, and they were getting – hammered by the media and the fans say, wait, he's washed up. What? They didn't care. They didn't bring him in there for his uh, superstar skills. They brought him in there because they knew that Bedard was going to need a, a physical presence like him, but even more so a leader like him. And anytime you talk to Bedard, he just sings Felino's praises. And and I'll tell you what, he's missed in Boston Pierre. I'm telling you that right now. He is. I believe you. No, those kids, all the Felino boys, even the father, when he was playing, I was coaching. Mike, they're they're salt of the earth people. They're a fantastic hockey yeah. family. They're a fantastic family, period. You know, I remember when uh, the mom of the two boys passed away and how emotional it was. And um, they're, they're a tremendous uh, family, really, really honorable people. And uh, I thought that was a good signing, actually. I, I know a lot of the media. Yeah. I thought it was a good signing. It was literally the perfect example of what you just spoke about. So that's why I brought it up. All right. You. you have some questions, Pierre. So let's finish it off. we got time for about three or four more. Let's rock and roll. A to Z me. Hey, guys. Is Matthews the obvious MVP this year? Without him, they're a lottery team, in my opinion. So Jimmy and I were talking about this the other day off the air. Mm-hmm. If Austin Matthews wasn't playing for Toronto, they would not be in the playoffs right now. Yeah, exactly. I mean, right. And they would be in trouble. So to say he's an MVP candidate is easy to do. To say he's a lead pipe since to win, I think is hard to do because you got McDavid out in Edmonton. You obviously got McKinnon down in Colorado. Uh, I'm sure if we went around the league, we'd have find other guys. Kucherov down in Tampa. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a, there are a lot of really good stories in the NHL this year. There really are a lot of good stories. So it's hard to just pick one. Yeah, um, he's definitely in the conversation. I mean, what he's doing goal scoring wise is phenomenal. That yeah. shot is crazy. Well, he's I mean, I, I don't know if this is too bold statement to make Pierre, but he's slowly becoming the Ovechkin. And I know they're kind of different players, yeah, but different players, but I know what you're saying level. Yeah, he's yeah. the goal guy in the league right now. Well, the, sh- the release on the shot, it just keeps getting quicker. And yeah. I don't know what he does for that. It's obviously a gift. He's got. Obviously, phenomenal gifts, but he obviously puts a lot of work into it. It's not oh, yeah. just the release, it's the accuracy on the shot. Yep. Good stuff. All right. Next question. Chad Laylaw, when considering trades, could you describe the balance of improving the hockey team and disrupting chemistry in the locker room? We've touched on this before. I'd imagine it's hard for players to see popular teammates go. Thanks. It is. Yep. What a great question, Chad. It is hard for popular players to leave. Um, you know, I remember when we traded Recky and Coffee in the same trade for Tockett and Samuelson and Reggett. And, you know, I remember Paul sat in the rink by himself uh, probably till two or three in the morning after he found out he was being traded. Um, and, you know, to have to see Mark and say goodbye and, you know, then the next day pick up Rick Tockett and Shell Samuelson. It took a while for them to get ingrained with the team. But once they did, they were unbelievably popular guys. Um, just like I'm sure Mark and Paul, when they got to Philadelphia, were popular guys as well. But, um, yeah, you got to factor some of that in. But more times than not, you're looking to make your team better on the ice. And yep. and I think most general managers would put the talent thing up there higher than maybe the, the behind-the-scenes stuff in the dressing room. 
for sure. Great example. Great question there. All right, next question. Rip a pack a day. I love Marty and his work so far, meaning Marty St. Louis. I wonder if management has him here to help develop the young guys, or do you think they view him as a long-term coach? That's a great question. I think they view him as a long-term coach because I think I they so. see him growing with the team. You yeah. know, it's a little bit – people forget this. Lindy Ruff had this unbelievable run in Buffalo, like mm -hmm. crazy long run. And I know Darcy Regeer hired him, one, because they were friends from Alberta growing up and yep. playing junior together. But two, um, he wanted Lindy to grow with the team. And you, you go back to those teams that Lindy had, there were some magical moments in Buffalo. Like they had some unbelievable moments because Lindy grew with the team. And I think you're going to see the same thing in Montreal with Marty St. Louis. Yep, I'm with you. I think he's part of the whole project there. So, all right, next question. Relaxation music. Hey, guys, do you guys see Martin Nakes? Nakes, yeah. I, I always pronounce his name right. That's but all right. It's part of the Carolina Hurricanes going forward. If not, I'd be shocked. I mean, unless he's done something untoward, I can't see how they just punt that talent out the door. And I'll tell you this. The other day, I'm trying to think who was against. They can't. You watch so many games, they just all blend together. But uh, Natchez was phenomenal in the game. And I remember reading the postgame quotes from Brindamore, the coach, and he was just – so effusive in his praise um, of of the way Natchez was playing. He said, hey, look, the guy's a star player, basically. I'm paraphrasing, but kind of like that. And I don't know why you would let a talent like that go. Well, Pierre, I think that the cap situation that's upcoming for Carolina, I'm not. I'm with you, 100%. I don't think he, why. There are, other guys, there are other guys that you could move before exactly. you move them. Yeah. And I, I, I'm not going to say who they are. But I could think of two right away that I would oh, be I moving out. That wouldn't bother me at all. And I don't think it would bother Brindamore if you got rid of them either. Yeah, one of them might have played in a team we've been talking oh, about. I'm not going to say anything. I'm not saying it. Uh, anyhow, let's move on. Next question, and we'll do uh, this one and one more. Marvin Matthews, Jimmy and Pierre, who is your favorite today on February 16th to win the Cup? So, so – by saying today on February 16th, Pierre, Marvin is giving us an out to change this uh, later on. I like it, though. But you pick first. I'll pick second. All right. I'm going to say for my cup, uh, I'm going to stick with what I picked at the beginning of the year. And that's uh, Colorado over the Rangers. I want to put an asterisk there, though. I'm going to say that is if Colorado Panthers. acquires a goalie. If they don't acquire a goalie. If they don't acquire a goalie, then I see a rematch of 1994 with the Vancouver Canucks and the New York Rangers, and it's a toss-up to me. I think you could have a Florida Panther-Dallas Star Stanley Cup final. Ooh. Interesting. The Southern and, Belt. And uh, I'll take the Florida Panthers. I, uh, right now. You know what? Right now, they're the best team in my eyes. They're playing the best. They're playing the best. Right now, they're playing the best. So I'm just playing to the question that Marvin's asking, but right, right now they're playing yeah. the best. Like they went into Buffalo last night after, you know, it's a back-to-back. -back. Buffalo's rested. They're tired. And, and they won that game handily for nothing. Like, thanks for coming. It was just like a scalpel, you know, nice yeah. and clean and get the job done, move on to the next city. They're they're doing it right now. By the way, before we go to the last question here, just uh, Rip It Pack Day wanted to qualify too that he asked that question about Marty St. Louis. Um, here you go. Because I read somewhere his family isn't living in Montreal. So I wonder if it's a short-term thing. I love him to go long-term growing with the team like John Cooper. That's another great example of a coach. Yeah, so just so you, everybody understands a, a lot of coaches in the league, a lot of management people in the league don't always move their families to the cities where, you know, now it's changed a lot since I was doing it because guys are making more money so they can afford two or three different properties. Back in the day, like I'll give you an example. When we won the cup in 1991, Bob Johnson made $120,000. That's it. Wow. The next year, Scotty Bowman made $125,000. i am just telling you what guys were making. So it was a way different deal back then. Now, you know, guys are over a million dollars, most of them, and they can afford two different properties. So a lot of times if you have a young family, you don't want them to move – you know, school districts every other year or every three years. So you keep them in one city. Jimmy, I'm going to tell you this right now. And if Melanie were here, my wife, she would tell you the same thing. One of the big reasons why in 1999, when I had really good chances to go, 
we were just talking about getting married and wanting to have a family. And Justine was born in 2000 and our son Ryan was born in 202. And right then I knew I wasn't going back, even though I had offers and I probably would have accepted a couple, but they didn't come, but I would have had to leave my family Mm -hmm. because they were in schools that I liked and Mm -hmm. I didn't want to move them. So yeah. that's one of the things that makes you kind of hesitate a little bit. That was Pierre. That was immediately where I was going to go there. It's about the families. Yeah. And it, and it's hard, you know, and that's, that's something Pierre, I think that is, that, that doesn't get enough attention, obviously in any pro sport, the human side doesn't get enough attention. And that's part of that human side that I think people need to realize what people that have been in your shoes or Marty St. Louis shoes right now, mm-hmm how much they're away from their family. I mean, I, my job took me away from my family for two years and it was, it was hard. It's it hard. is it's really hard. It, but I rather them stay stationary and establish their life and their friends and their community than, than follow me. That's kind of the way I look at it. Well said. I agree. Totally All right. Agree. We got one more question and we'll be out of here. Alex Ovanowski do you think Nashville trades Saros? I think it's getting more likely. I, I don't know. Too. No, I think it's getting more likely. Um, obviously, last night was a tough game against Dallas. They lose 9-2 on home ice. Dallas had put up some big numbers on a lot of teams, not just Nashville. Um, but I think the reality is starting to kick in for Nashville. Yeah. And so I wouldn't be surprised. It's very valuable. And I think I don't want to say they're going into a rebuild because I don't think they are. I think it's more retooling in Nashville. Mm-hmm. Especially and, if you can trade him and get an offensive star. Yeah, I mean you've got you've got obviously new coaches with Andrew Burnett leading the way. You've got a brand new general manager and Barry Trotz. He wants to put his fingerprints on the team. So I I would say it wouldn't surprise me if he did get traded because there is a market for him. I mean, who knows what the market is, but there's going to be a substantial market for that player. A former National Predator says hello. Call me. <laughs> talking, to, talking to me or you. I'm just telling everybody out there, uh, you know, to the Nashville Predators, uh, somebody you honored this year yes. uh, up in the Northeast uh, in <laughs> my neck of the woods. <laughs> I think I know who you're speaking of. <laughs> Anyhow. All right. Great show. Thank you to Brett Riley. for Thanks to you, Pierre, for booking Brett Riley. Thank you to him for joining the show today on On Campus Friday. Really love these On Campus Fridays that we do. And um, you know what else, too, Pierre? I, like as I'm sitting there and, and listening to him give his vision and what his vision is being, how much he's accomplished, but just I love having coaches like that on in his situation and letting the public see what it's like building a program. Uh, and I thought he gave us a lot of great insight into that. So thanks to him for doing that. Thanks to our production crew and thank you to you, the listeners and the viewers and all your questions. We love them. Keep them coming next week. And uh, Pierre, I think on Monday, if you wouldn't mind, uh, we reflect a bit on what's going to happen Sunday in Pittsburgh, and that's the retirement of your former player, Yarmir Yager. And uh, I would love to get some Yager stories off you if that's good. I bet. I bet. I bet. So let's uh, let's save that for Monday. <laughs> how the ceremony goes. Jimmy, uh, are we in a position yet to announce maybe one of the things we're doing? In, in uh, I, I think we are. It's the it's the logistics now that need to be set up. But okay, so uh, take so over. But well, let's, you know, let's, I, um, cause you know, Pierre, I'm a writer, I'm not a mathematician, so I'm not good at counting, but, uh, let me pull up this wonderful calendar of mine. So one, two, it's exciting. I'm really pumped to three. do this. So just under four weeks, four okay. weeks from yesterday, uh, the eye tests will be broadcasting live at Hurley's Irish pub in Montreal on Crescent street. Uh, prior to the Bruins-Canadians final uh, matchup of the season. Mm-hmm. They'll be playing at the Bell Centre at 7 o'clock. We'll be there 4 to 5. Might go a little extra. Who knows? Um, we'll, we'll try and get some in-person guests. But nonetheless, Pierre and I will be there. Uh, once we know all the details and where we'll be set up, we'll let you know. Uh, but I'm pretty psyched. And Pierre, you know what? That, that day officially rings in in Montreal. Get ready for your buddy St. Patrick. That's right. That's oh, right. They're getting those ready. out there. I know we have a lot of Montreal listeners and viewers that can attest, but for those that don't know, uh, I was lucky to find this out through my job. Just happened to be up there in the same time because I was covering the Bruins Canadians. Montreal has, I believe, 
the third largest St. Patrick's Day parade in North America, one of the largest in the world. Uh, it really is a spectacular it weekend is. to have up there. And, and the epicenter of it is, is Ari's Hurley's Irish Pub and McLean's Pub, who I'm both associated with. We're actually working on some things with McLean's. Nothing set in stone yet, but uh, we're really looking forward to that. So as we get the details, we will deliver them. And hopefully any of you in Montreal or even any of you elsewhere, if you want to take a trip there that weekend, uh, come see us at Hurley's Irish Pub yeah. on March 14th. Looking, looking forward, forward to it. Yeah, me too, Jimmy. <laughs> all right. We'll be we'll be drinking the Guinness Zero, Pierre. It's good. There we go. I highly endorse it. That's what yeah, I've been well, I can't That's do it. Do now. That, but it we'll, we'll figure it out. Yeah. All right, my friends. This has been another edition, another great week of the eye test on the Sick Podcast Network. We will talk to you Monday. Have a great weekend and enjoy the hockey. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the eye test with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy on YouTube, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts.